Hello, and welcome to another episode of Screen Bites, our thought leader series where we learn from industry experts about the latest trends and challenges from across the conversion TV space. I'm your host, Michael Beach. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Screen Bites. Uh, today, it's our pleasure to welcome Tracy Shep back to Screen Bites. Uh, Tracy's a, a pioneer and true thought leader in the addressable TV space. Uh, Tracy currently serves as founder and CEO of Mattermore Media. Uh, previous to that, she had held leadership roles in both Publicis and Starcom, just to name a few. So welcome, Tracy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with an icebreaker um, for each of our guests. Uh, what was your first job and what lessons did you take away from it that have helped you in your career? You know, um, had to go back pretty far for the first job. <laughs> I think I was eight um, and I uh, walked dogs. And I think probably... The lessons that I learned was one, the power of work, you know, uh, starting at a young age. I've really worked, you know, since I was eight, always doing um, jobs. So it's, I think it's really important to have purpose and have a job. And I think probably the biggest lesson I took away is trust. So when you're really, you know, walking somebody's prized, you know, love of their life, their dog, you know, you take on a lot of responsibility as an eight-year-old. And so that probably is the one that's carried with me um, through my career. That's great. And uh, how'd you get your start in the converted TV space? Um, it was actually on a bus coming home from the Olympics and from Bondi Beach in Australia. And I met uh, the CEO of a company called Wink. And they were an interactive TV company which, you know, I was a brand manager before I entered kind of the TV and, and agency space. And I was really, um, I thought that the idea of interactivity was interesting. But when she told me she collected second by second data off of the set top box, knowing what I knew about media measurement, I said, that's a game changer right there. So back in 2000, I went to work at Wink and we've been trying to really release this um, you know, a larger data set to the marketplace for the last 20 years. So that's what got me, got me hooked. Love it. Uh, and before we jump deeper into conversation, would you mind giving our community a little bit more background on Mattermore Media and kind of where they sit in the space? Yeah, sure. You know, after I ran um, kind of innovation, really focused on video and a true love of TV at Publicis. And um, for a lot of reasons, I decided to branch out on my own and the needs that I saw in the marketplace were twofold. One, a consultancy. There are a lot of people who are trying to bring addressable uh, technology and data-driven TV to marketplace. And I think you know, having a buyer's perspective on a lot of people who are bringing that to market um, made a lot of sense, so consulting. Um, I'm also doing activation and I'm focusing on a particular type of advertiser new to TV. I think TV has a lot of potential to bring on a lot more advertisers. And the, and the category that I am most interested in is uh, taking premium brands out of direct mail and getting them on TV for the first time. So, um, you know, I have clients like Williams-Sonoma and uh, West Elm and Paper Source. So I think I get inspired by basically getting my mail every day and say, you know, wouldn't it be awesome if Restoration Hardware was on TV and did a, less, a little less catalog drops? And, uh, you know, if you've ever gotten a Restoration Hardware catalog, you'll, you'll know what I mean. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's our, you know, my background before uh, kind of getting into video advertising was all in direct marketing. So love that example. I always kind of thought that was going to be, you know, the, the data is just so rich in that uh, for those companies that it's just a natural progression. Yeah, it really, I mean, it is the exact same principle. So, you know, you're taking um, a list and you're sending, in this case, a catalog to a mailbox. And so far, what addressable TV is taking a list and sending an asset, which happens to be a 30-second spot, to a set-top box. So, you know, replace mailbox with set-top box and replace paper with video, sight, sound, and motion. So they're really the same principles. All right, we're recording this the week after the election and, and uh, big news that, you know, everyone's talking about across the country. You know, Nielsen uh, made a big announcement today. Uh, kind of want to give us a little bit more background on that and, and what do you think that means for the industry? Yeah, I mean, today is a big day. I would say, you know, probably um, at least the most exciting news we've heard in the last, you know, decade since C3, at least. Um, what they've done is they have expanded their panel to include smart TV and set-top box data um, so we can begin to do a few things. And that's, you know, fully measure addressability, um, begin to close the gap on capturing all the viewing data across all the platforms, and to really start to incorporate targeting beyond age and gender. So addressable t television was, I believe, not going to scale without the ability to light up national in linear inventory. That's what's been missing. That's why we are sitting on a, a fairly um, large household footprint of, you know, let's say 60 million households, but a really low level of inventory that's actually enabled because it's controlled by the MVPDs and their two minutes. So it equates to about you know, 3% of linear TV inventory is addressable today. And so in order for this premium product uh, to scale, it needs to be incorporated into the national linear inventory. And that is very hard when the currency of C3 is the way inventory is sold today. You know, taking a whole unit out of um, sale to light up only 10% of it for addressable doesn't really make economic sense. So we needed a mechanism to be able to continue to sell what I'm calling, you know, the bottom of the avail or the unaddressable piece using, you know, the traditional currency and it to be accurate to be able to subtract the portion of the avail that was made addressable. And so it really was, um, Nielsen's really the only one that can do that, uh, in my opinion. And today they have announced that they have secured the partnerships necessary to make that happen. Yeah, definitely a big deal. Yeah, uh, very big deal. And a few months back, uh, you wrote an ad exchanger column that uh, probably a dozen people sent to me, uh, if not more, on addressable TV. And, and you kind of talked about this issue of today we're about 3% of total impressions being addressable with the potential to go to 50% or more, knowing the news that we heard today, what do you think that progression looks like? Like what is, what are the steps going to be in that process? Yeah, well, um, measurement is a key step, but I think there is a step before that, and that is deployment of technology. 
And right now we're in a phase where we have multiple options that are being brought to market. So we have several options and um, enablers that are bringing it to the market through the set-top box, whether that be um, Canoe uh, using Comcast and Cox and Charter, or whether that be Xander um, and potentially all the partners that are lined up with Xander or Dish. So we're seeing all three of those players kind of in the box starting to accelerate the, t- the technology necessary to light up <clears throat> national inventory. There is also players on the smart uh, TV side that are doing uh, similar things, not using a box, but using the glass and the, the technology that's embedded into a smart TV. And so you have things like Project Or and uh, currently Vizio's footprint and Nielsen's AVA team, um, who is also lighting up inventory. So we have now quite a few technical options um, that I feel comfortable that we are going to see major uh, improvement in the technology needed to unlock that inventory. So now it's possible, right? That was, that was a hurdle we had to get to, and we've made a lot of progress in 2020, um, you know, even despite COVID, to make sure that that technology is being deployed and the programmers are really, really, really leaning in now. So once you know that it's possible, you have to make it technically, you know, operational. And that measurement piece was a big gating factor that the announcement from Nielsen, I believe, solves. So it gives us the ability to overwrite, you know, a small portion of what was a a traditional avail and put a small portion against a true target, leaving the remainder um, as mass media as we continue to evolve addressability. Definitely. Uh, And and kind of another question that uh, I know at Crossgreen we tossed around a lot uh, is kind of the definition of what addressable TV is. Yeah. Uh, Kind of back to that, you know, growth and impressions, you know, how do you think we should be looking at that? I always hate when we have to go back to the definitions, right? But I think to me, it is the ability to reach a uh, true target on any device within premium TV in any way the consumer wants to watch it. I think that last part is really important because a lot of people, um, I think, are missing this point, including you know the ad exchanger folks who, who show you essentially what they believe the addressable TV marketplace is today and what its growth is. What I you know, believe is that they are missing a big piece of this, and that's CTV. You know, so CTV and VOD for that matter were born to be addressable. You know, they were never a broadcast medium. They were always content delivered one at a time when asked for, right? That is what opens up the ability to do addressable TV. So to me, addressable TV is way beyond the linear uh, definition, which I think most people kind of define addressable TV like through a box on linear, which I think is a mistake. It's bigger than that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, an area sometimes you see that lumped together. Um, other times people, you know, you know, we even use a metric targeted video where we include data-driven linear as a middle ground sometimes. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a much bigger space than just the part of the two minutes an hour of linear that's addressable. Well, data-driven linear is incredibly important, but to me it's a step on the journey. 
you know, it, 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 and it's a great uh, warm up, you know, going back to the buy side and talking with, you know, tons of advertisers that, you know, I've executed with more than 150 advertisers. You know, the discussion really starts with who is your true target, right? And depending on who you're talking to at the client or within the agency, you know, they, it's not women 18 to 49, right? So once you start to have that conversation about what is my true target and can I measure it differently, which is what data-driven linear really is, um, it's, it's like to me the warm-up. But it is not until you can eliminate the part of the audience that is less valuable to the advertiser. That doesn't mean they might not necessarily message to them, but they are less valuable. And it's not until you open that up that you unlock the, the really big part of the value that um, is inherent into addressable TV. And kind of on the buy side, uh, do you still see siloed video teams or, or do you think this is finally going away? Um, well, I don't work at a large agency anymore. So, you know, I can't really say from firsthand experience, but I, I would say that um, from what I can see from where I sit is it is still too siloed. Um, and I think it is a big mistake that the, the large agencies are not breaking down those silos and they didn't do it a lot sooner because there is a, a rich knowledge that the TV buyers have, and there is a rich knowledge that the digital buyers have, that really what we're trying to do is combine the best of both in a unified way. And I think there was a lot to learn from each other, and because they were siloed, really the marketplaces are developing differently, and I don't think necessarily in a good way, um, you know, I have taken clients on kind of the digital video side and I'll ask them a question, a simple question, like what type of, you know, you're in a bidded marketplace, what type of uh, CPMs are you paying? And I hear a number and almost fall out of my chair, right? And I'm like, I don't think your client would be very happy. You need to go call your traditional TV guys. You're in a less desirable environment paying a significantly higher CPM. You need help. And so those are the types of conversations that are, are getting missed, at least in some places. And that's driving a lot of people to go direct to the clients, you know, which, you know, maybe is how it ends, but, you know, being a longtime agency person, it, it's not my desire. I think agencies have an important role to play, but they've got to find a way to, to you know, bridge that knowledge together. Yeah, we talked with uh, Dave Borgen from Simon Media a few weeks back, and he had an interesting point where he talked about it. it was even the fact that people with linear experience are starting to retire and yeah. digital people aren't picking up that skill set, and you're actually going to have a gap where you know, you know, linear buying or more traditional buying is still a huge part of these media plans, but you know, the, the folks on the digital side aren't actually taking the initiative to learn, to learn that. And I think that's something that we see uh, pretty common as well. Yeah, no, I think, you know, really when you look at the upfront, there's probably, you know, a handful of, of buyers and a handful of sellers that's very di different than digital, you know, quite honestly. And to have, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with somebody who's still in the business. I learned so much who conducts Publicis upfront. I think he's 35 years into doing upfronts and, you know, learning really about how, you know, deals are done, supply and demand, that, that information really needs to 
um, be translated to a larger group of people because what we're trying to do is protect, protect premium. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's a big piece of it. And the, the big traditional buyers and the big traditional sellers know how to protect premium. Definitely. And kind of hearing about your example earlier of, you know, direct, uh, direct mail people going to addressable kind of, uh, maybe think of another question. Uh, another area we cover a lot in the newsletter is, is the digital platforms, the number of unique advertisers that they're growing. I think Facebook just announced that, you know, 10 million uh, total advertisers. Wow. Obviously a lot of those people are, you know, extremely long tail, but, you know, one thought that we have is that addressable TV is actually going to bring in a lot of new advertisers into the TV, you know, premium video space. Um, you know, one, I guess, do you agree with that? And two, you know, how big do you think the pool of potential advertisers for TV could be? So what are we at in TV in terms of, especially national TV, the number of advertisers? 250? Yeah. 10 million? 250? For sure the answer is somewhere in between there, right? I mean, those, that's a pretty big range. But I 100% believe, and once I, I, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, over 20 years. And, you know, once I started to learn about, you know, the technology that was coming forward and the change in distribution, that was one of the first things that I thought was like, this is a huge opportunity to bring in more advertisers. And, you know, again, I spent a, a great deal of my time trying to activate for new to TV advertisers. You know, these clients have gigantic marketing budgets, but they've never been on television. For sure, we can get those, you know, and, and my like target list is at least, you know, 30 big ones, huge, you know, J. Crew. if they're not going to go out of business. I mean, we got a lot of COVID adjustments, but I mean, there's some really big, you know, marketers that are not on TV. Those seem like really natural fits to me. And then you start getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You can see the trend already starting with, you know, uh, Warby Parker, or, you know, I mean, Peloton's one that a lot of people use as an example. But when you think of those DTC clients, if you could make the price point and the accountability of television, you know, lower the price point and make it more accountable, like Facebook, why would you not do this? It is, you know, everybody knows that Sight, Sound, and Motion is a much better way to create a brand impression, to tell a story, to get people to even convert to sale, you know, and TV is finally got all the tools in place to precisely deliver that, to lower the price point for entry and to make it accountable and provable. Definitely kind of, you know, higher level, you know, what's the biggest change that you've seen, uh, you know, throughout your kind of your career in the conversion TV space and then what one change are you most excited about moving forward? Well, You know, when I try and explain what's happening in TV um, simply, it is a change in distribution. That is what's happening. You know, when I was, you know, early 2005, when I started my job at Publicis, I was like trying to educate people. That is what is happening. Whether it's a change, you know, so that it's stored onto your DVR, back then TiVo (laughs) used to be the way we would explain it. Or, you know, it's put in a head-end rack and it's, it's given to you as VOD. Or here comes an iPhone, you know, or I was the first to put an ad on a video iPod, you know, like, why not? And, you know, did some of the really early work on iPads and, uh, you know, why not? 
It is a change in distribution. I can remember ABC.com was, I think, the first to really put out full episode uh, inventory. And when the ABC sales guys came in to pitch it, I'm like, you're not walking out of the door until I get the packages. And um, when I put the you know, offer together for my advertisers as a kind of jump ball, do you want to participate? A lot of the digital folks were like, no one's going to watch TV on their computer. And I'm like, you don't get it. It's a change in distribution, right? That was the same with Hulu. I mean, Hulu started out as a web service, and now what? at least 75% of it is watched on the big screen. So I think it's, that is what is changing. And there are a lot of things that that impacts. Addressability is clearly one of them. Measurement is a huge piece. As you change the distribution, you get a change in the way things can be counted. And so I think that's the biggest change that we're witnessing. And we've, I've been witnessing it for the at least last 20 years. And um, I think it's got still quite a bit to go um, to get all the way there. Right. Uh, we wrap up with one more question. Uh, but first, I want to highlight a couple areas in the, on the personal front. Yep. Um, first, I definitely recommend our whole community you know, follow you on LinkedIn. Um, I always appreciate uh, how you highlight all of these companies in the space of successes. Uh, a lot of times you go on there, it's just the person, you know, kind of promoting their company or anything. And I always learned so much by seeing you and uh, you, know, you just get energized about how much you hi highlight others achievements, obviously along with your own. Uh, and second, more importantly, uh, you're the founder and president of a game changing nonprofit. Um, mind giving our community a little bit of background and, and, and how they can help. Yeah, sure. So um 2013, January 1st, my son was diagnosed with leukemia. So I know firsthand what it's like to hear those four awful words, uh, your child has cancer. Um, and, you know, kind of right in the beginning of that, I was like, why don't we treat this cancer data like the way we treat marketing data? So it was kind of an aha um, to me and kind of set me forth, you know, on a passion to try and figure out a solution for that. At the same time, I knew I needed an outlet and I, a friend sent me the words post-traumatic growth and it really had an impact on me. You know, it's not just about resilience. It's not about returning to the same state you were before, you know, something tragic happens to your family. It's about how can you grow from that? So what I decided to do was do the Chicago triathlon. Um, I am not a triathlete or I wasn't back then. And um, so I started to do something hard and I brought a few friends along with me. And all I did was put a link on my email that said, um, I'm doing it. I raised $50,000 without asking for money. And it was kind of a light bulb moment how generous our industry really is. And so fast forward eight years, um, I started recruiting people within the agencies and creating an event where we can bring the, and, and the media uh, folks together to help raise the money and create a social event. Chicago lacks, I think, um, what New York has in spades is a lot of social events. So we've created that and so many wonderful people have supported that. We have had, you know, 570 athletes. Um, a big chunk of that are sourced from the agencies, uh, you know, all of them. And um, I've been so inspired by people really leaning in to help us. Uh, the team is called uh, Team Brightside. You can go to teambrightside.com. 
if you're interested in doing the Chicago Triathlon, hopefully it'll happen next August. Last uh, Sunday in August, we welcome anyone to join the team and uh, raise money for what I believe is a great cause. And we're really proud this year we were able to donate. Um, we've raised a, half, a million and a half dollars so far. So I'm really proud of that. And this year uh, we were able to donate a half a million dollars to University of Chicago which, to my surprise, is the place where the world is working to harness pediatric cancer data, both clinical and genomic data. And without that harmony, just like marketing, you know, just like what I do in Addressable TV, to find a more targeted solution for these children because they need it. So I'm really proud of that work, and um, I would love if anybody wanted to join or donate. Uh, I'm not going to stop until we cure cancer, at least in these children. Love it. What an amazing story. So we'll definitely post a link, and, and uh, yeah, hats off. That's, that's an incredible story. Thank you so much. And my son is doing great. Excellent. Uh, YouTube star, as we talked about earlier. Yeah, he's a YouTube star. He um, has his Make-A-Wish he did a collab with Dude Perfect, who happens to be one of the largest YouTube uh, channels. And I think he's got about 22 million views of that video, which has launched his entrepreneurial uh, adventures. That's amazing. All right, we'll get you out here on one more question. Uh, we ask everyone as a wrap up, you know, in the current environment, if you could get, your, get people to read one book, uh, what would that book be and why? Okay, well, I couldn't pick one book, sorry. So um, Rashad Tabakawala's, uh, I was fortunate to work for Rashad for a very long time. And um, so I know a lot of his wisdom firsthand. And man, that guy is awesome at the one-liners that really make you think different. And so I would say, you know, Restoring the Soul of Business is a must-read. And um, I'm also reading, so this one you can buy right now for Christmas for all your uh, friends and family. But I'm really passionate about um, how we change media to have a more productive uh, civil life. You know, this election has been quite crazy. And I've been fortunate enough to work with one of the senior people from the Obama uh, campaigns, Michael Slavey. So he's coming out with a book that I've been reading um, called For All the People redeeming the broken promises of modern media and information and reclaiming our civil life. So once that comes out, I don't know exactly when, but I think anything in the area of really understanding how data and media is being used and how we can uh, make sure it's used for good. Yeah, definitely a topic, uh, top everyone's list right now. And I'm sure hopefully that comes out sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Well, I uh, appreciate the talk and I'm, I'm really grateful for your time and uh, I'm sure our community is going to love this talk. Okay. Well, it's so fun to connect and um, I'm wishing you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Screen Bites. I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. You can find out more about CrossGreen Media at crossgreenmedia.com. And please don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter, Stay to the Screens. You can find us on social media at crossgreenmedia.com. Join us next time for more insights and analysis straight from the experts.